Interrupt us, God. Interrupt us in our day-to-day. Interrupt us. Because, God, when you step in, when we become aware that you're with us, Lord, our whole life changes. Our perspective changes, God. This morning, Lord, I, I know that Sunday, in some ways, is planned, and yet every week it interrupts the normal flow. God, we're filled with bad news from social media to the regular news to our friends. There's so many things going on that can distract us from how good you are. But every Sunday, every Sunday we're reminded, God, of a God who loves us and interrupts us and calls us back home. Lord, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of this Life, God, there's so much going on, but yet you interrupt us graciously to remind us, if only just to say, child, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm for you. And may this morning, God, may it be a reflection of our love back to you as we hear your scriptures, we respond in faith. We thank you for all you do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Can we give a hand for the band? They're so great. Every week, they just kill it. It's great. Um, All right, we're going to start. I'm already out of sorts. This is the way it goes with Jeff. Um, Let's start with reading the scriptures, starting in uh, Philippians. So if you would, if you have your Bible or if you have your phone, I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, Pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But... We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Amen. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive from my work. Have you ever felt like you're somewhere familiar but like a total stranger at the same time. Like maybe it's the, it's the house you grew up in, like you remember, like all your memories are there and someone else moved in and they changed the color. Or, or maybe it's like the first job you ever had and you go back and the service used to be great because you were just so good at making those burritos and now it's just like, ah, uh, it's just another Chipotle. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's just, it's, it's somewhere you've been many times but things just change with time. I grew up in the big, small town of Bakersfield. Yeah, Baco. It's, uh, yeah, it's hard to say that with a straight face. Sorry, Bakersfield. Um, it's also known as the western tip of Oklahoma. And uh, think about that for a second. It's in California. Anyways. Um, so even though I stopped living there like four years ago, and I was going to school in Riverside, so I was gone even longer than that, it still feels a little bit like home. But I feel like a stranger there now. Living in Southern California for almost a decade has changed the way I talk and the way I dress. Um, That's a good thing, I think. You can tell me later. Don't tell me now. Um, 
It's changed my music preferences. I used to dislike country, and now I still do. Um, and it opened me up to enjoying food more than just barbecue. It's just crazy. Um, and it, it's changed my expectations of traffic and drive times. It's a factor in 30 minutes to everywhere. Uh, it's changed so much, and yet so subtly. So that I feel like I haven't changed, and everything else around me is. You probably know what that feels like. Well, the other day I was back in Bakersfield, because I go to visit, you know, go pay my homage every once in a while, you know, for, just for penance. Anyways. Um, and I realized that someone was looking at me strangely. And, and sometimes that happens. When I stand anywhere, if you've seen me, I like tower over people, not intentionally. It just came with my body. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't standing. I was sitting down, and, and I knew it wasn't that. And then I realized I was sticking out with what I was wearing. I, I had grown accustomed. This is pretty normal in Pasadena, L.A., right? Don't tell me. Um, but that wasn't the Norman Bakersfield. It's crazy how two hours of distance can make a world of difference. And, and even my friend, who I've been friends with for like 20 years, he's like, you look like an L.A. guy now. Um, and that's what happens. When we, when we change our address, it changes a lot about us. When we, change, when we find a new place to belong, we stick out in places we belonged before. Now, this isn't to make fun of Bakersfield, I promise. This is not stand-up comedy. Um, I'm not that good. But, but the point of the passage today, and I want us to see, is that when we change where we belong, it makes us stick out in the places we no longer belong. And then that's the, po- the point that Paul is making, is that when we belong somewhere else and we're in a foreign place, we should stick out. In fact, the Bible makes a claim that, in, that even if you grew up in La Crescenta, if you're a follower of Jesus... You're a stranger now. We are both citizens and strangers at the same time. And, and it's, it's difficult, right? Because no generation of Christians has ever gotten this balance right. We are called to be citizens of where we are, and yet we're strangers. We're strangers because Paul says we belong to a heavenly kingdom. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. So we're strangers here. Our citizenship, our truest citizenship is in heaven. And it's difficult for us to truly grasp this. And, and, and this struggle is something that we and every Christian ever has faced since the empty tomb. How do we wrestle with, how do we understand and apply that we're both citizens and strangers? And because of, because of our dual citizenship, we need to remember that the customs and styles of heaven are our first priority. They're our first loyalty. They're the first allegiance that we have. And that's going to make us stick out sometimes. And not just because we're tall and redheads, but because the way we live, we need to be different. And even in places where we felt like we used to belong, it's going to make us stick out. But this is going to cause us to make a choice. Like most of the Christian life, following Jesus leads to a, a fork in the road, and we can't take it. We've got, to, we've got to decide. We've got to decide. Will we do our best to fit in here? Will we do our best to fit in where we're, we're strangers and citizens? Or will we make our citizenship in heaven our first priority? What will we do? How do we live as citizens and strangers? That's the question I hope to answer today. And just a reminder, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And at the time, Philippi was a city in the Roman Empire. And, and there were Roman officials from like uh, soldiers and generals who would retire there, kind of like a retirement community. But even when they would move there, they would quickly realize that Philippi is not Rome. 
they, they would have been very familiar with the idea of dual citizenship. They would have been very familiar with the idea that even where they were living wasn't where they belonged because they were loyal to the Roman government. And, and this is a very important thing for us to, to grasp. If we're going to understand how our citizenship in heaven affects our citizenship on earth, it needs to be this. It is allegiance and not location that determines our truest citizenship. It is allegiance and not location that determines our truest citizenship. Something we need to grasp. Where's our allegiance? Who has our first allegiance? And, and that leads us to how do we as Christians live as citizens of heaven while still being citizens and strangers here? Paul says we do this in two ways. Excuse me, two ways. As citizens and strangers, we must know how to act, and we must know where we're going. We must know how to act and where we're going, starting with how to act. Verse 17 and verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine, and learn from those who follow our example. And verse 1. Stay true to the Lord. On my high school basketball team, if you didn't know, I played basketball. Duh, you know. Anyways. On my high school basketball team, we, we would always get together before we went to an away game. Like our parents would meet us at the game because our, our coaches wanted us to meet together to make sure we were all up to dress code, that we were aware of what the team rules were, and for no shen shenanigans, of course. And, and the reason why was because the coaches wanted us to remember that we were ultimately representatives of the school. On the front of our jerseys, it said Bakersfield High School, not Jeff. And, and they wanted us to get that. So if, if we were there at this different school, we were, we were constantly reminded, don't leave your trash. Pick it up, throw it away. We weren't supposed to yell at the refs in case they missed a call, and they did. Don't worry. We, but we were, represent, rep, excuse me, we were representatives of the school first, not ourselves. Instead, we were always supposed to run after every ball that ran away, or like rolled away. We were supposed to run after it and bring it back to the ref. And our coaches drilled this into our head day after day after day before we would go to an away game. If we knocked someone over, it was our job to pick them back up. Like this was just something they expected from us. It was the example that we were supposed to follow. And they did this not to stifle our individuality, but to ensure that what we were doing is we were representing our school well. That we were all on the same page of what was expected. The way we talked, the way we acted, reflected our high school not just us. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are called to be good representatives of Jesus. If you say you're a Christian but don't act like Christ, you're confusing everyone. We need to be like Jesus. And not by becoming holier than thou's or robotic or like following all these rules. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm getting at. But we should remember that our actions and words reflect on Jesus. And we, like I said, we may initially reject this because it sounds like harsh or law-keeping, law but we were created in the image of God to reflect what he's like. The reality is, and I hope you're awake for this, the reality is the more closely we follow Jesus, the more truly ourselves we become. Sin and slavery are actually diverting our identity. Sin and slavery to the things of this world are the true enemy of ourselves. Being a good representative of heaven is our actual identity. It's our actual identity. We were created to be like the creator. We were made in his image to reflect what he's like to the world he's created. 
But so often sin and things of this world that drag us down, they take us away from that identity and they cause us to not reflect what we're supposed to be like. You may have heard the old saying, Christians, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible people ever read. And this is what Paul's getting at. In, in a moment, we'll talk about what, looks like, what happens when you don't live like this. But how do we live this out? And many of us would be quick to answer because we went to Sunday school. Read the Bible. Do what it says. Amen. But what about the things that the Bible doesn't directly address? What about the things that may be less clear or even good Christians disagree on? What do we do then? Well, I'm glad you asked. We find good examples. We look for those who've been walking the road before us longer than us so they can show us a better way of following Jesus. The author of Hebrews says something similar. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says this, Remember your leaders. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. And Paul isn't setting himself up as the standard. Remember last week he said, I haven't arrived. He's like, I'm not there yet. It would be contradictory for him to go back and say, well, now follow me. No, he's humbly showing, himself, showing his imitation of Jesus as something that we can do and follow. The reality is, is none of us can do anything that we haven't seen done before. All inventions and innovations are a collaboration of imitation. So as citizens of heaven, we need to find good examples to follow. And the good news is you're sitting in a good place for that. There are lots of wonderful saints who have been doing this longer than we have, that we can follow their example. But it's not just here. There are millennia. There are 2,000 years of Christian history that we can find examples. But the goal of following their example isn't just to be a better Christian. The reason why we're to follow their example is to stay true to Christ. Staying true to him is the best outcome of our acting correctly. And once again, I know you may be thinking, man, he's preaching a lot of law, a lot of do, do. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying think about what you do and how it affects others, how it affects the reflection of Christ. Staying true to Christ is the best outcome of our actions and acting correctly. Because if we are focused on our faithfulness to Jesus, while learning from the examples of, of others, we will be good representatives of what it means to be a, a citizen in his kingdom. This heavenly kingdom is coming. It's one day it's going to be here. We need to reflect what that's like already, not just waiting for it to come someday. So as citizens and strangers in this world, we must know how to act according to our heavenly citizenship. And we do this by knowing where we're headed. We don't belong because we behave. Our behavior is based in our belonging. Let me say it again. We don't belong because we behave. Our behavior is based in knowing where we belong. And that's the kingdom of heaven that's coming. Look with me in verses 18 through 21. For I have told you often before, and say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into, his glorious, into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, I want to initially point out some possible misunderstanding you may have in just reading over that. Paul says that there are enemies of the cross of Christ, and he knows it because he sees their conduct, and it displays they don't follow the ways of the kingdom. 
And it's important that we see that these are not just some random people out there. This is not an us and them. This isn't Paul saying there's the Christians and everyone else. That's not what he's getting at. He's actually saying that those who profess Christ as Lord and deny him with their actions, these are the people who are the enemies of the cross. It's not atheists and agnostics and Muslims and Hindus. They're not the ones who are, most of them are not antagonistic against Jesus. Now there are some who are, but oftentimes it's Christians who, who make one confession and in their conduct make another. These are what causes antagonism. If we remember correctly, Jesus was loved. People love being around Jesus. Random people, people who the religious leaders never would have let in. Jesus was loved by them because he was different, because he had this heavenly aroma. But when we say one thing and live another, it, it causes people to get the wrong idea. When we judge people instead of loving them, it gives people the wrong idea. When we make our allegiance to something, anything else, you can name it, money, family, fame, government, anything. If we make our allegiance to anything other than Jesus first, it's going to cause people to get the wrong idea. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and that should change the way we live. And even Paul, just think about this. Paul is saying these are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul preaches the cross. He says, I, know, I want to know nothing but cross. Sorry. He says, I want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, right? That's, that's his statement. And even after that, these enemies of the cross, he is in tears for them. That's the heart of Jesus. Paul isn't judging them. Paul isn't calling them out because he hates them. Paul's calling them out because he loves them. These are probably people whose faces he knew. He knew their families, he knew their story. He didn't just see them as hypocrites. He saw them as people to be loved. And that's how Paul saw people. And that's, once again, a result of him knowing where his citizenship is in heaven. And this matters because we need to see this as a warning and not a judgment, a warning for us. Now, wait a second, Jeff. Once again, I just keep wanting to hit this home. I thought Pastor David said last week that in Ephesians 2 that we're saved by grace. And amen, yes, absolutely. Am, are, are you saying, Jeff, that, that now by our behavior we're saved? Absolutely not. But I am saying that when we recognize that we belong to the kingdom of heaven, we live like it. But Paul seems to be convinced of better things about us. He uses we language a lot. He says we are citizens of heaven. Paul is convinced that those who are listening are not those who he is warning against. So what, does this say, what does Paul say about us? He says we are eagerly waiting for Jesus' return. Have you ever been planning something for a long time? Like a vacation, and then COVID hit. <laughs> or, or maybe it's the big sports game. You got tickets to the World Series to see the Dodgers lose again. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, sorry. Um, starting, yeah, sorry. My bad. I'm sorry. Padres. Anyways. Um, or starting the first day of your first job, or maybe it's the first day of career, of your, of your like the career you've been working for, or, or, or maybe it's, it's just... Uh, getting to retire from that old job, but you've been waiting for it for so long and you're just so ready, you can almost taste it. I remember being so excited for my first car. I'd, I'd worked all summer long in the oil fields and I got, got up at 4 a.m. and got home at 6 p.m. and then restarted. I'm so, sure some of you guys know what that's like. And this was the first job I had out of high school. I was a 19-year-old kid, but I had my eyes on the prize and the prize was a red 2003 
Pontiac Grand Am. Oh. It had a spoiler on the back. It was so good. It only had 150,000 miles on it. It was great. It was so great. And I was so excited because I could go anywhere I wanted with it. Like The result of all this hard work was this beautiful car. I called it the Red Baron. I was so excited for it. And it was glorious. I could go anywhere I wanted with the right amount of gas money. But I remember like thinking all summer long, I'm working toward it. I'm like working so hard. I'm getting up every morning because I want this car. And I was just hoping for it and looking forward to it. This is what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about that same anticipation that we have. This is what we should be anticipating Jesus' return to be like. This is the resurrection. Paul's saying we should eagerly await it. And this verb is only ever used in connection with the return of Jesus and the coming resurrection. So it's, a, so it's, it's obviously very important to Paul because this is the hope of the Christian faith, the resurrection that's coming one day. That's our hope. One day it will happen. We, we, are, we can be assured of it. And unlike the Pontiac Grand Am, it will not break down. And you hear me every week when I lead us in communion pointing to this reality that one day Jesus is coming back. One day we will be risen from the dead. One day there will be no more sin, no more COVID, no more pain, no more struggle, no more sadness. One day we will be in his presence forevermore. And that's worth looking forward to. So much in this life we work so hard for. We put in all our effort and it doesn't work out. It will not be this way with our inheritance. Paul says that our mortal bodies will be transformed into glorious ones, like the one Jesus has. Some of us place our hope in the fact that we are young and energetic, but one day gravity catches all of us, and we'll be looking forward to it maybe a little bit more clearly. The reality is, is that Jesus' promise always comes true. So whether it's 2021 or 501 or 3001, one day Jesus will keep his promise. But the temptation for us is that we, we just want to escape to the end. We just want to press fast forward and get through all of this and go to heaven or just get to the resurrection. That's, that's kind of the way we think. We're so eager for it. But this eager waiting isn't the kind of waiting in traffic. It's not where we passively hope for it to end soon. No, it's an active waiting where we participate in our dual citizenship now. We don't hope in one day getting out of this planet. We hope in the coming day when Jesus makes this planet the way it was supposed to be. The Bible ends with the hope of, of new creation, not just eternity separated from our bodies. I think some of us are like me growing up. We, we think of heaven like those Tom and Jerry cartoons where like they die and their spirit floats up and their body stays there. That's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is resurrection. And all this is very good news. But Jeff, how do I do it? How do I live it out? And I think there are a couple of things because I'm a good Baptist. There are three things that we can do to, to live it out. And it's this. We need to live with hope. We need to look to examples, and we need to love each other. Living with hope may be simultaneously the most easy and difficult thing to do because it only requires this perspective change, but it requires it daily. Living with hope is a conscious, conscious and constant reminder that God's best is still coming and that no matter what today looks like, we have guarantee that God will renew it all. So how will you live with hope this week? Maybe you'll write it down. Maybe you'll write down resurrection and you'll put it over 
You're, you're in your car so that when you're sitting in traffic, you're thinking, what? Resurrection. Resurrection. No more traffic. Or, or maybe you'll put it on your mirror because every time you look in the mirror, you don't like what you see. But you see a day coming when God will show you what he sees. Maybe you put it as the background of your phone so every time you get ready to play Angry Birds, you remember resurrection. Whatever it takes, we need to, we need to aggressively pursue hope like the world aggressively pursues despair. The world tries to force us to think only about the bad thing, but Jesus wants us to focus on the good thing. Whatever it takes to remember that we know where we're headed. We need to live with hope. We also need to look for examples. If you're a young believer, finding someone who is further ahead in their walk with Jesus, someone whose faith inspires you, should be the top of your priorities. Find someone who, who loves Jesus like you want to, and then get lunch with them. Get coffee with them. Call them. Read a book with them. Find out what, what they've been through. Find out their story. And the good news is, like I said, we've got filled in these seats people who've walked the walk before us. Their wisdom is untapped oftentimes, and their stories of God's faithfulness will inspire you. I can think of many already that I've talked to. I encourage you to find someone because they have stories of times when, when God had to come through and he did. And maybe still other times when they learned the hard way so you don't have to. Because wisdom is, is important and we should pursue it. We shouldn't let it slip through our grasp because we don't, we don't prioritize it. And once again, we can, we can look back. We can look at thousands of years. There's books and biographies of saints of the past. We are, as the author of Hebrews said, surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. Some of the best mentors I've ever had, I've never met. But through their writing and example, I've gained so much. But if you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe you already have mentors. Maybe you already have people showing you an example. Who are you leading? Who's, who, who, who are you setting the example for? Who are you pursuing for lunch and coffee and calls? Because there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. Your usefulness is not done. He has more things he wants to do through you that don't necessarily use your hands. Who can you show what it looks like to follow Jesus in hard times? Throughout all of life's trails and trials. Maybe you don't have all the answers. Welcome to the club. But you probably have some helpful tips to share. Or, or maybe you can just be an encouragement. Maybe the coffee lunch thing isn't your thing. Maybe you don't like food. Okay. Um, but we can all be an encouragement. We can all be an encouragement. We can find people who need encouraging. Just start praying about it. We need to live with hope. We need to look for and be examples. But we also need to love others. Well, duh, Jeff. Jesus made that very clear. But, but it's worth noting that the end of our passage today where we focus on what it's like to be citizens of heaven and strangers here, Paul ends with a very strong word of encouragement to this church. He says, I love you and long to see you, dear friends. You are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Paul calls the Philippians his joy and crown. What a word. How often do we feel tempted to see others in our church body as something other than a crown? as something other than a reward. How often do we see people as a problem? How often do we see, oh, I don't want to talk to that person because last time they said blank. 
And when Paul uses this imagery, he's talking about the reward of hard work. He's not talking about the reward you get for, your, for going around the calendar again. Birthdays are great. Sorry, that sounded really bad. Um, but birthdays are great, but he's talking about the result of labor. Essentially, they're his Super Bowl rank. They're his Grammy. They're his Emmy. They're his retirement package. They're his reward. Do we see community as our reward? Too often we see people as a problem. The problem is the problem. People are the reward. Imagine what a shift in mindset this would do to our weekly gatherings. If every week we came expecting to see our reward, we came expecting to see our crown, our people. One of the greatest needs of the human life is to be fully known and fully loved. And only God can give that. But God has ordained the church to be a place where you can experience some taste of that here and now. And no sales pitch at all, but life groups are meant to make it easier to connect with others in our community. They're an opportunity for you to get involved and to know your reward. If Jesus is the prize, we are each other's reward. Because one day, we're going to see each other again, no matter what happens. So in a moment, I'm going to invite the band to come up and close us. And as they do, I want us to reflect. Where's our citizenship? Not not what do you believe, which is great. It's good to know the truth. But where's your life pointing? Is your conduct pointing people to Jesus? Are your actions this week? If people were just to look at this past week, which way would they say you're pointing? And this isn't to be guilty. Never, God never shows us our sin to condemn us, but instead to lovingly correct us, to lovingly point us back onto the right path. So as we live as citizens and strangers, let us know how to act because we know where we're headed. Let it cause us to live with hope, look for examples, and love others. This is the way. Let us follow him. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. You're so good because you promised one day a resurrection. And God, there's so much good coming to us from you. And even now, God, we can live as citizens of that kingdom while we live here on this earth. And even though heaven one day will happen, we still get to enjoy heaven with you every day because your presence is with us. Even now, Jesus promised through, through the Spirit that we would have pre- your presence with us always. God, may that, may that be our source of joy this week. And Lord, may we see other people, not as the problem, but like Paul did as the reward. God, I don't know where everyone's at today. I, I don't know everyone's story, unfortunately, but I know you do. And so, Lord, I just pray that in these next few moments, as we, as we close out this service, God, that no one would leave without at least focusing on the hope that you offer through the resurrection. That they would aggressively pursue hope. God, that we, we would find an example that we can follow, someone who's been walking with you longer, that we can imitate their, their life and learn from them. And God, help us to love each other. 
Lord, there are so many great people in this church and so many I hope to know better, but I just pray that we, we, would, we would rally together, that this would be the safe place in our week, that no matter what's going on Monday through Saturday, that we would at least know on, on Sunday morning that we're loved by the people there. May that be the kind of church that you build here. And may we follow you wherever you lead. We pray all this in Jesus' name.